Hello and welcome to Hustlers for a Cause, the podcast for growth-oriented entrepreneurs and executives who aspire to create positive change in the world. Are you in business for more than just profit? Then like and subscribe today and join our channel to become a hustler for a cause. Now, I guess in terms of bringing this tech to the farmers and getting them involved and getting them willing to move towards regenerative agriculture, can you directly sell to them on like reducing carbon emissions or do you have to use other benefits and other ways of like selling this to help get them to buy? And- We've tried multiple ways. So the our current approach is kind of for go to markets two, two pronged. So the first is we're talking to a lot of the big uh, agribusinesses and a few of the food brands who are interested in the space. And because they're aggregating the farmer supply already, like that's that's like a so if you can get in with those companies. And so we're actually our first big pilot is with one of those companies. We've pretty locked on NDAs, but it's one of the top three in the world. We'll say that. Um, and so that, yeah. yeah and, so, and so we're looking forward to that starting. But we're also you know interested in you know how farmers themselves like even absorb this information. And so we've been dealing directly with a lot of farmers. I had not been on Facebook for about five years, but now I'm on it all the time because that's where a lot of farmers exist in terms of <laughs> online interaction. And honestly, the carbon piece, like you got to thread carefully, I would say, because one of the aspects of regenerative is like it, it, ha- it makes the soil so much healthier, which has all these other actual positive impacts besides climate. And so I spend a lot of time, a lot more time talking about those when I talk to farmers. Even if we do cold outbounds as farmers here and there, we dramatically reduce the off the amount of times we mention carbon. Once you get into conversations and so on, like people are engaged, but you know, it, it's less important versus can you make, you know, great food that that's healthy and, and your farm is you know increasing in productivity and all those kind of things. Things that farmers really, really like emotionally care about, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It makes sense. So then I guess do you hit into people in the industry that are like non-believers of climate change at all as you turn the conversation and kind of bring that piece up or and if so like how do you handle that less that i've had one person in a kind of random cold message just reply and says like you're 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 fooling yourself and honestly i just replied i was very cheerful i was like look you know i i've felt this you know i I was basically like you know i I would have felt the same except like i've seen you know you can grow things in ireland you couldn't grow 10 years ago but you know no worries at all So, so i just like threw out one fact and just left it at that what I think is also, this was is more uh, of a pushback you get sometimes. You know, there's this um, soil sequestration marketplaces are kind of this new thing that's coming along. And a lot of the same principles that I've been talking about are also applicable there. They're, they really care about regenerative. They really care about uh, verification of, of soil carbon. They're then selling them as offsets to other companies. Maybe they're in the food space, maybe they're not. Indigo Ag and Nori are these two kind of really interesting companies in the space. I absolutely like wish them well, like the more people working on this, but it's a slightly different approach. But because a lot of money, I would say, has flowed into those companies, you know, they probably added on a lot of the early adopter farmers already. And so by the time I've often talked to some of the kind of later adopters, they maybe have been pinged like 10 times by those other companies. And so uh, sometimes I, I get reactions like, I'm not talking about soil carbon. Like I, I, I get pinged about this all the time. Um, and so it's, it's treading lightly where you can. Let's change gears. Let's talk about this from like the consumer angle, right? Because sure. so to me as a consumer, like aside from the, the obvious benefits to the environment, 
Are there other reasons as a consumer that I should care about this challenge? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple different aspects. So one of the big, like I suppose, impact frameworks that people use are, you know, social, right? Like how's it affecting like people, environmental, right? Uh, and then kind of overall governance, uh, you know, ethical kind of how ethical the organization is and all those kind of things. It's commonly called ESG, like environmental social governance. The E piece is, is again, primarily the focus. But I think the, the social piece is really key, right? There's a huge amount of uh, labor issues that go across the agricultural system. You know, I think the United States, like they're, everyone's very aware of some of the uh, conversations, we'll say, and debates over the southern border over the last forever. And a lot of that inflow and outflow of people are farm laborers of various types. And a lot of those people are under incredibly stressful and terrible conditions quite often. And yeah. so... You know, there's also those aspects. And also, you know, it's not just the developed world, uh, developing world countries, uh, you know, people I think are very familiar with things like fair trade and so on. And those fair trade like approaches, those are again from a kind of a, like a social equity kind of point of view. And so I think, you know, depending on how you're driven, like, you know, there's the environmental piece, there's the other, that social piece. And then I suppose the final bit, you know, is human health, which I think everybody kind of cares about to a certain extent. <laughs> and like, there are, you know, in general, food is healthier today than it was 500 years ago. You know, I, I would say on net, right? Like, okay. but the average like hides a lot of things. You know, there's a reason why things have so high calorie, and that's often due to the fact that you know the United States produces a ton of corn and soybeans, and you got to convert it into something. And there's various reasons, like historically coming out of World War II, why those things happened. But, but because of that, like you know, it's an incredible amount of processed foods and an incredible amount of sugar uh, across the board. And again, we're kind of reducing those things, but in regenerative approach you get more complex types of grain and so on appearing you know, within the supply chain. And they're not just easily converted into simple sugars for processed foods. And so it would basically also potentially force you know, food brands to kind of work with consumers you know, as part of market research to figure out like, new applications that are you know, generally more healthy alternatives. So there's a few things outside of the environment. Yeah, yeah no, that's, that's awesome. The other question, as a consumer, right? Like, so I go to the food store and I have no idea when I'm buying something, right? I can go and I can buy something that's organic but that's like the most context you get in a food store. So as a consumer, is there ways that I can identify which foods are high carbon emissions versus low? And yeah, how, how can I make more responsible decisions? Yeah, so I think, I think the, and it's tough, right? Because like, you know, when you have a systems approach versus like the, in, the individual and like, you know, we're all, I often feel the hypocrite in, in kind of the personal trade-offs you make versus uh, the other things you work on. I think there's a couple couple things that I try to personally do. The first is like, I try to take more notice of how far away things are, right? As just a general idea. Like if it's closer to you, in general, even though logistics and transport's not like a super high percentage, it just gives more of an indication that there are less like links in the chain. We'll say that. And so, you know, if you can buy not just buy local, but like, you know, if you are in a part of the country that grows a lot of apples, your apples were, are more likely to be, you know, local, right? So if you're in New England, like your apples are probably more local than if you're in Alaska, right? And so th yep. those are going to be trade-offs. And so I would say like that's a piece. You could also be pretty kind of price conscious, right? Like when things are out of season, they're way more expensive. And so if you're very used to having mangoes, like with your smoothie every week, and sometimes they're more expensive, 
don't buy them in those more expensive weeks. Try, try something else because the reason they're more expensive is because they're out of season and there's probably a lot of processing going on and there's a lot of shipping around the world and all those kind of things. And so you don't have to like have a big calendar like of all you know the, the dates that things are in season or out of season because that's that's a lot of work for a consumer. But just try to notice like prices if they're up or down and that kind of thing. And I, I suppose the third one is, is probably most right for controversy in general. But I think in general, like a, a reduction in meat uh, I think is in general positive, not necessarily replaced by plant-based alternatives, because actually a lot of plant-based alternatives are, and some are great, and I, I eat some of them myself, but a lot of them are actually just stuff full of uh, conventional soybeans and, and and not you know amazing additives. But I think like you know if you have, be very kind of thoughtful about the proteins that you consume in terms of meat, mm-hmm. fish also has some, has some issues. But like you know, but, so I'm I'm down to eating meat like once a week, basically. And, you know, basically when I go to restaurants, I eat, I eat meat uh, and, and, and that's about it. So yeah, those are just a few things that I personally try to do. Cool. And then is there any foods that I should just in general avoid at all costs if I want to make as much of an impact as possible? Or any other foods that are, I guess, I guess in terms of foods that I would go all in on, it would be as much like local, locally raised as possible. Yeah, I mean, anything that like could be skip. I think, well, it's, it's difficult, right? Because most of these things are still like a livelihood for somebody. And so there's not anything that I would say like dramatically skip, but I, I don't think there's anything that comes to mind with that. Nothing really. So, Yeah, you bring up another interesting point too, right? There is like a political side of this too, right? Because like I've seen it in, um, even like now that I'm out here in California, right? There's, we have vast areas that are farms out here. And at the same time, we have these like challenges over water, right? Like, one side of the equation where they don't want, you know, the farmers, right? They're saying, we've had these farms for so long, we want water. And then on the other side, you have people saying, well, they're using the water for these farms that is in like desert areas and they're growing, you know, things that are not a fit for that area, right? So like, what is the political side of this and how do you approach that to help solve this problem and create meaningful change? So some local areas like are just, going to <laughs> going to have tough tough decisions and if you're trying to farm in a way that is increasing you know desertification and you're now competing with water in a way you didn't before like that's a negative basically right so either you completely change your farming practices so you're not increasing like the you know the work on on water um you're changing to topsoil you're implementing some of the practices i talked about um or you're not and uh, like i think in those kind of political clashes like you know the market is not always the best kind of judge, but, uh, you know, like I, I have no problem with organizations, farms, and so on paying for things like water. You know, it's, it's a natural resource that, uh, depending on where you're in the world, can be massively depleted. And so in the case where you have that depletion, uh, it, you know, you should basically have a kind of polluter pays kind of approach to a certain extent. California is like this remarkable microcosm, though, because you have the Central Valley in, in, in California. And, you know, if you talk to people in Central Valley, like they don't sound like people from L.A. or San Francisco. Like, you know, they, they, I suppose they, they have accents from kind of the middle of the country and so on. And, you know, it's it's this kind of red strip in, a, in an otherwise blue state. Uh, and, and I honestly think like, uh, you know, one of the things I think a lot about is like, you know, like country people, you know, should have this compulsory phone call with an urban person like every month and mm-hmm. both ways and i think there's just like we, we're the siloing of people based on density i think has a lot of knock-on effects for all these other things and you know there's we saw with uh, georgia right turning you know somewhat yeah. purple to, to blue that's entirely based on atlantis getting bigger right like if you go to rural parts of the state it's still quite red and you know we're, the united states in particular has that across the board and i think you know rather than 
uh, having a world where it's just you try to fill a couple big cities with as many you know blue as possible, and, and people in the countryside are trying to like you know figure out how to get the suburbs on their side. Um, I think in general, like a greater kind of communication based on density. I think across high density and low density areas, uh, and I think food can be this remarkable like like uh, you know way to combine th these uh, multiple points of view. Uh, I think is is a pretty exciting thing, and you know I think food is fundamentally a political thing at this point like it, it causes carbon it, it you know has all these knock-on effects across human health and, and social elements and environment and so on and so yeah i mean adopt a farmer if you're living in a city and if you're a farmer like you know find, find the find a person in a big city and, and chat to them you know yeah no i think that's awesome i mean that's a as i look back to like my uh, my time as like an engineer and in product you know roles it's Empathy and understanding other people and where they're coming from is one of the most powerful things you can have. And I think you're absolutely right. In today's like siloed world, that's the big thing we're missing. If we all just kind of looked at the other side and, you know, helped to bridge that gap, I think we'd all, we'd find answers to the things that we keep, you know, we keep challenging ourselves on. And if we're talking about breakfast cereals, like we're not in the culture war. We're just talking about the food that, you know, someone's kids are eating and, and, and my, you know, non-existent kids are eating and so on, you know. <laughs> Rolling back to your goals and to Wolfie. So, yeah, I read on the site your, your idea on reducing one gigaton of carbon. So how far along on this are you now? <laughs> how do you measure that? And like, what even is like a gigaton? Right. So it's a lot, right? So it's about one fortieth of all the carbon released by the like on the planet per year. It's also about the amount of carbon released in the country of Ireland since I was born, and so it was a nice round number. And I was like, and again, like it, it's it's a you know the what I'm working on has to become like a multi-billion dollar company to have any chance of getting close to that. But you know when I kind of made this transition, I was like, set a big, hairy, audacious goal, and go for it. And you know. Your worst case scenario is you failed and tried, and like maybe you made a couple things better along the way. It, it is a uh, one fortieth of the world's carbon, so it's it's a lot. But how far are we on the way there? I mean, a lot of the measurement technology we're talking about, like those, give this bottom up uh, much more accurate sense. And so I don't have like an exact number of, of like, specifics. Um, we're, we're nowhere close. We'll say that. But for us right now, like it's trying to figure out a path to wide adoption where things like that are even possible. So. Do you use that now as you like plan as like a part of your goals on like how you reach customers or how you, yeah, how you grow and how you reach that? Yeah, I think about this pretty much every day because, you know, like when you're trying to start something, you get lots of opportunities to pivot into something that's quite profitable. And, you know, there's been five of those. And like I've said, no to all five because like... It's not bringing me close to that goal, right? Like, I think I've, I've talked to agribusinesses who would very happily have me do kind of customer acquisition chatbot stuff for them. Mm -hmm. And it, like, I'm like, if it's not directly related to carbon sequestration and better, you know, soil health and all those kind of connected things, it's it's not related to me. And like, you know, I think, I think a lot of founders, like, and people early in, in startups and people who have like any sort of impact, it can be in the nonprofit and other spaces as well. Like mm -hmm. have some sort of, you know, I, I really strongly encourage, and this is not unique to me, but like have some sort of, it's best to have some sort of like a kind of priority stack. Right. And so, yeah. you know, maybe like uh, diversity and inclusion, like having a, like a, like a company or an organization where nobody feels like the diverse one, right. Maybe that's your number one thing and you'll take certain kind of trade-offs, you know, good and bad in your company um, versus some other part of your mission. Right. But, you know, I think a lot of people would say, "Oh, we have these four values, and they're all equal." It's like, no. It's like you got to, like, you got to, you got to pick, right? And uh, those are hard decisions. Maybe you don't want to like 
publish this to you know the the world but i have these kind of three or four values that i have in my head and like you know when i come across the challenges that come across every single day when you're trying to found something you just i i have a you know and i think about the values as well sometimes i'll reorder them slightly you know yeah i love that concept of a priority stack that's new to me maybe it's not a new thing but it's uh, definitely new to me and it's a really interesting way of thinking about values and thinking about decision making um, yeah i mean ben thompson is where i read it who's a uh, kind of a you know, he's an analyst and he was actually talking about Facebook and, you know, removing Trump and a few other people and like why you would do that now versus at other stages and about when you have like trade-offs between, let's say, something like uh, freedom of speech versus, uh, you know, political violence and all these kind of things. And like, yeah. you know, and, and basically, you know, he was trying to get into the mind of like, what would the potential priority stack be? And a lot of the reason why some of these large kind of social companies, social giants have gotten in trouble is because sometimes they don't seem to know internally what their actual priority stack, like their, their values stack really is. They're just kind of like going and just making it up and now oh, that's in our terms conditions this moment and it is this other moment. Whereas if at least internally they were consistent, they probably get into less trouble. What do you feel like is your biggest challenge now as you look over the horizon for the next year for Wolfgang? Yeah, get get users, get people using it. I could talk a good tale, but like, you know, until until it actually works. And so we've got a few things kind of in the fire, but I think, you know, like this time next year if we're chatting again, I, I would well imagine, you know, we could have had five pivots, but again, still driven by the that, that core set of values. But I'm I'm pretty flexible on exactly what the end product looks like as long as it fulfills those different values. And so to me it's just you know, in, in the next 12 months, if we can get to some form of product market fit, you know, like, especially people who are interested in the space, there's tons of capital flowing in, like, it's, it's easier for me to get uh, sometimes meetings with VCs than it is with actual customers. And so, uh, don't, you know, like, like, if, if you get to a certain level of traction, like, there's, and again, like, that's a certain level of entitlement as a, you know, white, white guy in, in from an English speaking country, but like, there's definitely some money, at least if you are in the United States to, uh, to, get up and running with some of these companies. And so, yeah, so right now it's like get users, be really focused on getting product market fit with those users. Awesome. If you were going to leave this interview today and ask everyone in the world to do one thing differently, what would it be? I would say like have a sit down for 10 minutes and try to internalize what climate change really is, is, is about. Like really just think through like, you know, those we see in the news what's happening in, in, in places like Texas and California and wildfires. And, you know, and we're all very busy. Like, it's, it, life is tough. Like, you know, like I'm not in no way taking away from that. But sometimes it's worth just kind of sitting down and say, okay, you know, the world uh, is, is, is not on a, like a great trajectory. And, you know, I think every year we're seeing, oh, like 2020 was the worst, uh, 2021. I say to my wife, I'm like, every year is going to be like that for at least 25 more years. And so, you know, unless we start doing some major changes. And so I think just having to think internalize, and that, it's going to be a stressful moment, right? Like this is not an easy thing to do, but like really internalizing what it means. And maybe you, it doesn't make you change your life at all. And that's, you know, that, that's your prerogative. Um, you, the audience, not, not just you, Sean. Um, but, but, but also, but at least you'll, you'll have thought about it. And so, you know, when it comes up a conversation, you'll, you'll have a like understanding of, of why you're, you're doing the things you're doing. And just, yeah. So inter internalize that climate change is, is happening, you know? Yeah. Definitely. Cool. And uh, where can people go to learn more about you and Wolf D and what you're doing? Yeah, so wolfd.com, W-O-L-F-D-E.com. Uh, -E um, particularly looking for anybody in food, pharma space. I'm always happy to talk to people uh, who have opinions, even consumers. Um, so, you know, 
go to info at wolfie.com uh, and then Carbotnik, you know, get that in the show notes. It's C-A-R-B-O-T-N-I-C.com uh, is the podcast. And uh, yeah, and you, you, James McWalter, there's not too many of us on LinkedIn or Twitter. So you can always find me there and, and ping me.